Hello and welcome to RCSI My Health. This podcast explores a wide range of areas in health and well-being and brings together some of the leading healthcare experts in these fields. Our goal is to empower you with the right knowledge so that you can make informed decisions about your health and well-being. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences. I am Anne Hickey and today we are here to talk about vaping. What does the science tell us? This panel discussion forms part of the RCSI My Health series. This series explores a wide range of areas in health and well-being and brings together some of the leading experts in these fields with the goal of empowering members of the public with the knowledge to make informed decisions about their health and well-being. Today, I am joined by Professor Donal O'Shea, Professor and Head of Department, Department of Chemistry, RCSI, Professor Jerry McIlvany, Professor of Medicine, Department of Medicine, RCSI, and Dr. Dan Wu, Honorary Lecturer, Department of Chemistry, RCSI. Welcome to the RCSI My Health series. We are here today with our panel of experts to discuss the topic of vaping, what we know about it, why it is so popular with younger people, and what research and science are showing us about the long-term effects of vaping so far. We will also look at what physically happens when we vape. We've asked the audience to submit questions and comments that they might have for the panel. There was a strong response to this, and although we won't be able to answer all of the questions, we will try to cover as many as possible in our discussion. So, Donald, I might start by asking you, from a scientific perspective, can you explain to us what, what vaping is? Yeah, I guess what we have to think about is there's two parts to vaping. There's the actual devices themselves and then the solutions that contain the chemicals that are vaped, often termed e-liquids. From the devices themselves, what you're looking at are two types. One, a disposable type such as this, essentially which inside the cylinder contains the e-liquid solution that will be vaped and a battery and a heating coil so that the solution can be heated. And this is a one-off device that would then be disposed by the user or a second type in which the user can fill the device themselves. And these particular devices can be recharged, the battery that's in them, and also the variable uh, power settings allows the users to select how much energy is put into the solutions as they vape them. So there are two broad categories that you see. Essentially what they're for is to deliver drugs to the lungs. The drug here is nicotine, and we have obviously other ways to do this medically, and I guess to contrast a different type of device, I have brought one along here, which is an inhaler, quite common among teenagers for those who are suffering from asthma. And just to contrast how this compares to these other devices, this contains a pressurized container in which there is a single drug to relieve the asthma attack, but it is delivered from an aerosol, so there's no heating involved. So just to give a sense of how drugs are delivered to lungs, this one may be for a medical reason and, and the others for nicotine. And so for the vapes, you need heat? You do need heat, yes. So the solutions have to be vaporized, so that's done by heating, directly before they're inhaled into the lungs. Very interesting. Thank you, Donald. Jerry, in your clinic and research, what is your experience with young people vaping? Yeah, well, uh, classically, I see vaping in two scenarios. Uh, Firstly, when people want to stop cigarette smoking, and they use vaping as a crutch to help them do that. And secondly, people who present with other lung diseases in whom I found out that the vaping may have made the lung disease worse. 
So uh, as Donald has mentioned, there, there are many different ways in which you can give up cigarette smoking, different ways of giving nicotine replacement. But vaping seems to have taken off, particularly in the younger group, and that is despite emerging evidence that it does cause problems. Do we have any sense of the percentages of young people that are vaping, or do, are, they sm are they doing it in order to start smoking or anything? Well, well that's the sad part. It, there's emerging data that a lot of people take up vaping even though they don't smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So in fact, it's, not, it's, it's almost as though they've bypassed the cigarette smoke and moved straight to vaping to get a nicotine hit. And the numbers are quite staggering, actually. In, in a relatively large study we did in both rural and city children, we found a significant number had taken at least one vape in the recent past. And again, another significant number were taking it on a regular basis. And perhaps most concerning, a significant percentage of our student population we're taking cannabis via vaping equipment. So this is something that they can add to the vape if they For want sure, to. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Um, maybe to all of the panel, and I might start with you, Dan, um, is what do you think is attracting young people to vape? Sure. You know, of course, the flavoring is most, uh, most uh, factors to attract the young people because the flavors uh, young people went to the vaping is attracted by the flavors. And there also is kind of the social effect, effects from the uh, peer groups, which they think uh, vaping is cool. And is there anything, do you think, about the marketing of vapes that's impacting on young people in particular? In terms of the marketing, you see it very clearly when you look at the retail outlets where these particular uh, devices and e-liquids are sold. They're, they're marketed in a very colourful, very flavourful way. There's huge diversity of variety of them, albeit they're, they're fundamentally uh, delivering nicotine as their sole reason mm -hmm. to, to exist. But they are so many different versions, it becomes very attractive to a younger population to try and to try the different versions. And of course, they're often uh, positioned within retail outlets right next to, to, the, to the sweets, to the chocolate bars and so on. So it's hard for a, a teenager who's impressionable to know the difference between uh, what is perhaps more risk, risky for me to, uh, to take versus something else. So maybe just staying with that, Donald, um, the flavorings that they're adding to vapes, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what's yeah, involved? Sure. So there's, uh, currently there's about 200 different chemicals used to flavor these vapes. It's about seven to 8,000 different commercial products that are made up of mixtures of these. And to get brand recognition, companies basically generate different flavors. Mm -hmm. The chemicals themselves have been around for quite a long time. They're used as food additives. And as food additives, they have a fairly good safety profile. And many of us would have taken uh, or eaten one of them today. Mm -hmm. But what they've never been tested for is direct inhalation into the lungs. So this is a completely different exposure um, from, from, a, from a, I guess, from even from any time during uh, mankind's existence, it's never been exposed to this particular set of chemicals. So there's huge unknown there. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I guess, we have the issue that these uh, flavors are being heated even before they're in inhaled, mm. further adding to the, to the unknowns and the complexity of what can happen in that situation. So I guess there's twofold. One is the flavors are used to attract and are very attractive to younger uh, teenage users and, and uh, young 20-year-olds. And then 
on top of that, I guess uh, they are such a diversity of them that it's even difficult for, for uh, users to know exactly what is in each flavour. Okay, and, and are these quality controlled in any way? There is uh, some quality control, but when you look at the, the ingredients lists, the uh, specific flavours are not actually listed on the, on the, on the containers. Okay. So you don't know really what chemicals you're inhaling. Mm -hmm. because they will have a general brand such as a fruit flavor or, or a sweet flavor and so on. Now, scientifically, you can make a good uh, guess as to what actual chemicals we use to generate that flavor, but a consumer would not know. Thank you. Um, Jerry. if I came to you maybe uh, in terms of just what you feel is attracting young people to vape um, and just from the kind of clinical experience that you have and the research experience, is there anything in particular that stands out? Yeah, a few things. I think as Donal has mentioned, the, the flavours. The flavours are attractive to, to young people mm -hmm. and there are different types of flavours that are more attractive than others. So, for example, uh, menthol may not be as attractive to younger people as to older groups, but the young people like the, the, the banana flavour, fruit flavours, etc., and that's, an, and that's not by accident that they're being targeted for that. And what we see in our clinics is not infrequently people who have asthma or some other condition that's exacerbated when they take these vapes uh, or other conditions which appear de novo in people taking the, the, these, these vaping uh, materials. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, there was an enormous scare in the US where almost 2,500 people were hospitalised and 60 died following a vaping scare, vaping uh, scandal really, because they're taking a form of cannabis through the vape that had been contaminated to an extent, but it, they, they died from it. So we don't really know what's in these things and we shouldn't take them into our body unless we're 100% sure. And even then, once we know what's in them, we wouldn't put them in our body in the first place. And then in terms of just the, the kind of the dangers or the, the key risk factors from vaping? Yeah, there, there, there are quite a number of dangers and they're compounded by the fact that these uh, people who have been exposed to vapes are young people, adolescents. So you have a developing lung, a developing brain, developing cardiovascular system, and they've been exposed to high levels of nicotine and to other materials in the vaping uh, scenario. So what, what has emerged is growing evidence of a cardiovascular risk, a neurological developmental risk, a lung risk, uh, probably a risk for the developing fetus as well in pregnant women, so a whole host of risks that are not fully defined yet. And in the back of our minds, we're thinking it took us a long time to, to show that cigarette smoking caused lung cancer. And yet the very same things that are in the, the cigarette smoking environment are also found in vaping as well. So it's not too much of a leap to think you can get lung cancer from this, but it takes a long time to prove it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're putting ourselves in a position where we know it can cause problems but we're, we're letting it go willy-nilly until the problems develop and then it's too late. So the risk, risks associated with the vaping is not only limited to the, uh, the chemicals, flavors itself, but also extend to the, uh, to the aerosol, which is pro, 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 uh, which was produced when vaping. So the, so the research at the moment currently is studying on the ingredients, including like, um, in, including all these 200 chemical flavors plus um, uh, additives and solvents uh, to determine what toxins can be produced when they are heated. So preliminary results already reviewed 
there are many uh, toxins can be produced from some flavors. Some is kind of the danger uh, chemicals produced, uh, such as uh, formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, and acrolein, and so on. Some some of them can can associate to the lung damage and cancer. Okay, yeah. that was my question: was what what kind yeah. of damage can they do physically to somebody? So yeah. it would be lung damage. Lung damage and cancer. So these kind of the findings normally highlight the risks of the vaping and also need for the research to study into the long-term effects on health. And one of the problems, I suppose, is that the lung doesn't heal that well. So if you insult the lung, it scars. Mm. So you get one, generally one go at it. <laughs> and when you think about the things that can be associated with vaping, so-called popcorn lung, bronchiolitis obliterans, you can get a cryptogenic organized pneumonia. So these are things that can cause long-term scarring unless they're dealt with very quickly. Maybe if you could explain a little bit about popcorn lungs. People probably yeah. might be familiar with that so term. It's a, it's, it's a term that's probably overused to an extent, but what it really means is that the small airways are massively inflamed and close off to an extent. And we, we, see, it, uh, we see a similar situation in people who've worked in various industrial exposures. But it is being described more frequently, more and more commonly, I should say, with vaping. And what it means is you get bronchiolitis obliterans, and that means the small areas are closed off. And again, can you stop that? Can you reverse that? That's the question. You certainly can't reverse it if you're continuing to take the same insult into your lungs. Okay, so it's a permanent damage then. It to can you. be. It yeah. can be. So that comes about from just one single flavor, popcorn flavor, which used to be very popular with a younger demographic of users for obvious reasons. And it's just the unknown of every one of these flavors and what it can produce and its effects because they've not been tested. And it's even like as Dan said, there is a need for research in this area, but it always strikes me as unusual that you have companies selling these products without the need to test them first. Whereas it seems to be always someone else trying to prove that they're not safe and, and that evidence is emerging, but yet they, but yet they are retailed as if they are safe products. Yes. And my impression is that they were retailed as something that would help people to stop smoking. Okay. Is there any evidence well, that that the, is the, the, the In fact, the biggest problem we have is that the National Health Service in England actually promoted uh, uh, nicotine given by these methodologies as a means of stopping smoking. And it is quite effective at stopping people from cigarette smoking. Mm -hmm. However, you're placing one risk with another significant risk. And there are other ways of stopping people smoking, which are quite effective mm -hmm. without putting this material directly into your lungs. There's nicotine replacement, which can be given by patches or uh, tablets or whatever. There are other medications that can help blunt the effect of nicotine in your, in your system or lack of nicotine in your system. So there are ways of giving up cigarette smoking, which are very effective. But this one, unfortunately, caught the public attention. It caught the attention of the National Health Service in England. And they promoted it. Now, the FDA and other bodies in the US have done the exact opposite. They do not recommend this as a methodology of stopping smoking. Right. And have the NHS reversed their recommendation no, yet? No, not yet. No. Okay. Um, and has vaping been banned in some countries? Yes, for sure. There are some countries who have never allowed vaping. Um, I think the number was 47. 47 yeah. Okay. So a significant part of the planet has decided not to go down this route uh, and to use existing routes to help people stop smoking and essentially not let it take root in the younger demographic. 
Very interesting. Um, Dan, I might come to you with a question. This is a question that has come in from a teacher. And so the question is that apart from addiction and financial aspects, how can you convince teenage students to stop vaping or not to start vaping? Um, so it's really why are vapes available to teens and how might you discourage them from ever participating in vaping? Sure. So there are some, some facts I can share, share like um, with him. And um, the first is a nicotine addiction. So the vaping can lead to the a lifelong addition to the nicotine. So it doesn't avoid, uh, avoid the nicotine addiction. And second is the unknown long-term effects on the health. So it's, this is just we discussed, uh, there are many additional health risks and uh, has not been identified. And the third one is the, uh, the like the social effects from the peer groups. So I know it's popular in the young people, but the popular and the trendy is not mean it's safe and health. Thank you. Um, so you've already said, Jerry, that there are other ways of getting over nicotine addiction, which would be things like patches, chewing gum, uh, some and medication. medication as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I should also say, sorry, that face-to-face uh, um, -face regular discussions with peers and with healthcare professionals are also very effective as well. Um, we have a number of parents who are asking, you know, about particularly, you know, young teenagers, so maybe 14, 15-year-olds um, who are vaping and, and all of their friends are vaping too. Um, do we know what the long-term effects on the lungs are yet? We don't, but we, we, can, we can have a good guess at it because we, 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 we've been there before. We've been there with uh, asthma. We've been there with COPD, which is from cigarette smoking. We've been there with lung cancer from cigarette smoking. So we know that chronic inflammation of the lungs, which is what this does, will cause all these things. And the sad thing about it is that a lot of these conditions are irreversible. When you get chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, all you can do is slow down its progression. You can't reverse it. Yeah. So, and especially in the, in the developing lung, a young person's lung. So it's a big, big chance to take saying we wait and see what happens. I think we, we know to a large extent what's going to happen. Yeah. And I, I think from the, the solutions themselves, I guess, from a parent trying to convey to teenagers or in essence, I think the teenagers can work this out as well. When you look at some of the ingredients in the packets, you can see they are designed to, to essentially hook in a specific uh, set of people and then once the addiction takes place, takes hold with, with nicotine, it's very, very hard to, to get over that. And if that sets in at a young age, then they will have significant problems ever stopping this. So for example, when you look at the packaging of the example we have here, you see that it is a nicotine benzoate is one of the ingredients that's been listed. So this is a sort of a trick by these companies. The benzoate takes away that harsh irritation feeling when you smoke in the vape from the nicotine, which is sort of an irritant in itself. And that makes it easier and you don't have that unpleasant feeling in the throat. Of course, very, uh, very, very sort of a way to encourage a younger person who has never smoked or never vaped, where this would actually not be a very nice sensation. But if they can remove that sensation, then they will, on top of the flavors and all the marketing and the positioning in shops and so on. So you have to sort of understand it from the teenager point of view. They really are getting 
not only mixed messages, but all the wrong messages mm -hmm. in, in this particular topic. So they do need to have uh, some significant guidance, but also I think they're well able to do the research, I think, themselves into these products and see really what's at play here. And it is their long-term health. Mm -hmm. I think as Dan has mentioned, the peer pressure thing is important. I think it's less attractive for teenagers to smoke in public now or smoke. Mm. And that's purely from peer pressure, I would think, or not purely, but certainly a lot from peer, peer pressure. If we could um, manipulate a similar uh, scenario for vaping, I think we'd be doing a good day's work. You know? Yeah, to make it uncool to vape yeah, in a exactly. way. Exactly, yeah. Um, and is there any evidence that vaping exacerbates uh, asthma for yes. people who have asthma? Undoubtedly. There, there's a good data that vaping does exacerbate asthma. It makes it can actually precipitate asthma in a person who did not have it previously, and it can make it worse than those who have it. Right. Thank you, Jerry. So, Donald, can I ask you? There was a situation in the US um, a couple of years ago in relation to vaping. Could you maybe tell us about that? Yes, it's one that we were actually doing some research ourselves on. But what was happening was uh, an unknown, for unknown reasons at the time, a significant number of, especially young people, were ending up in A and E's in the United States with very severe lung injuries. Uh, ultimately, 68 young people died because of this and several thousand were hospitalized. And it all came down to essentially one chemical that was being added into dilute cannabis oils that was breaking down because of the heating action within the vaping device to produce a very, very toxic agent. And that toxic agent was inflicting very significant lung injuries almost immediately upon the vaping. And that set about a whole rethink of the vaping concept within the United States. And then you see different states from that point passing new laws to be more restrictive of, of, the, of the different chemicals that are going into these solutions, specifically flavors because of the huge unknowns of what may be produced on top of the unknowns of the flavors themselves, of course. And that has essentially an evolving story still there, but all coming about because of that series of events that was sort of taken as an early warning sign as to what can happen in the most extreme case. But obviously what we're looking at in many of these products is that it's a long-term damage, a long-term exposure. So it may be still another decade away before we see these diseases emerging in the younger populations now that are vaping. But there is potential for that something like that to happen again because it's quite unregulated. It is. The, the, the different flavors that are used are constantly evolving and changing, as are the devices and, and the materials that are in the devices and so on. So there, the, the diversity of this is, is just enormous and, uh, and uh, very unpredictable as to what might happen. Right. And so that has led to legislation changes in the US. Definitely in some states, they become far more restrictive okay. about what can be sold in these devices and how they're sold, yes. And I'm wondering if the panel maybe could comment on legislation then in Ireland. Where are we with legislation? Well, we, we, we don't have as strong a legislation as there is in the US. As Donald has, has mentioned, in the US they've had a triple-pronged approach. They've actually said you can't buy tobacco or vaping product, products uh, under the age of 21, federally. A lot of states, as Donald said, will make it more strict than that. You can't buy them below the age of 18 or 19. Some people are trying to restrict the, the flavorings to turn it away from the younger people. Some people are suggesting you, you should tax it more. But the, the reality is that they've launched a, a campaign to decrease the amount of vaping, and we need to do the exact same here. And at the moment, I don't see any public health campaigns um, about the dangers of vaping or putting the, people... The HSE has data on its website, very good data, on the potential dangers of vaping. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's the starting point for us. Yeah. Yeah. But they have very good data on that. 
Uh, but we need to back that up with legislation. Yes, yeah, yeah. But at the moment, there's nothing on packaging. There is EU legislation on how the packaging sh should appear. So, so there, within Ireland, you will see that that followed. But perhaps even the sale, uh, the law to, to ban sailing, sales to under 18s has not yet passed. It's right. working its way through the Oireachtas at the moment. But I think there's there's scope for uh, our politicians to be far more ambitious in, in the types of uh, restrictions that they're putting in place yeah. uh, based upon the emerging evidence. For those who are vaping and quite addicted to it, um, how might they get off it? Is there any evidence that nicotine patches help? Or is there anything they can do? I think Dan has alluded to a few things you can do. Uh, uh, you can avoid mixing with other vapors for a start. That's, that's the classic thing we say to cigarette smokers. Um, you can take up exercise. Exercise helps a lot. Uh, if you really cannot do it, some people have tried using nicotine patches in the past, but bear in mind that the amount of nicotine you get from a patch is much less than what you get from a vape. Mm -hmm. So that has to be borne in mind. But, but the reality of it is the, the, the impetus to cigarette smoke is similar to the impetus to, to vape. Uh, they're both equally bad for you. So I think once we get that message across, that's the start of the journey to turn people away from either because you're substituting one bad thing for another. So I think an important point, I think, is that teenagers have a very high sense of uh, invulnerability or invincibility and that they're particularly difficult to communicate health messages to. Um, do you have any suggestions about how you might communicate the risk of vaping to teenagers? It's a very challenging conversation to have, but one that we all have to have with, with, with our children and our teenagers. And maybe to point to, to, what, to have a look at what's on the package, essentially, rather than believe the parent. If the package has a skull and crossbones on it, it's telling you something. If it's telling you, if it spills this on your hand, that you should wash your hands straight away, it's telling you something. It's telling you at, at no reason, or there is no reason to inhale this into your lungs. And how can it come to any good? But the message has to be simple and clear. But teenagers will do teenage things. Mm -hmm. And the added risk we have to all take in mind as adults is that there are, is a highly addictive substance in here. So there will be challenges for when they, when they have, to, have to stop or for medical reasons. I think the addictive bit is, is very powerful, but the idea that the actual fluid, if it spills on your hands, you need to wash your hands immediately, would, speaks volumes, I think, as well. Exactly, yes. So like, teenagers are, in their own way, sensible, and they see through these things. So we have to help them to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you, Donal. Um, Jerry? So I, I would agree with what Donal has said. You may also point out that teenagers are often athletic, they, they want to per perform well in, uh, as athletes, and this will impair their ability to do so. Mm -hmm. You may also, uh, the aesthetics of it, it does affect your, your oropharyngeal area, makes your teeth uh, less clean looking, etc. So there's an aesthetic element to it as well. So I think you have to appeal to their their wish to play sports and to their, and we all have it, our vanity, that we want to look well, mm -hmm. and this does not make you look well. Okay, okay. So maybe just to get some comments on misinformation. So we've spoken a bit about the marketing of vapes, but is there any way in which there is misinformation being spread about vaping? So, so the biggest misinformation is that it's used entirely to stop people from cigarette smoking. The vast majority of teenagers who vape have never smoked cigarettes. And there, there is a lot of misinformation out there about their safety. The impression is often given 
by these companies that these are safe products is simply unknown. And as evidence slowly comes out, it always points the opposite way, that they are not safe. So intuitively, I think you can uh, take, take it for granted that if you're inhaling chemicals into your lungs that have never entered a human lung before, that this cannot be a good thing. And that's really, that misinformation around what exactly is in these solutions is really quite widespread. Right. And I'm wondering about just the way they are displayed in shops. So they are put next to chocolate and, you know, other sweets. They're not behind the counter as cigarettes are. So they're, they're sold very differently. Very much so. And the, when you can see from a teenager's point of view, looking at that particular display where the vapes are directly above the chocolate bars, how, how are they to distinguish these two things in terms of risk? So yes, there's huge uh, miscommunications and missignals coming out towards them. Okay, so finally then, one last question. So if you could leave just one thought with everybody listening, what would be your key takeaway message um, from this session? Um, I might go to you next, Dan. So I, yeah, besides uh, Donna and Jerry said, so the e-cigarette and the vaping is r relatively new. And uh, there are so many unknown things we are not fully understood yet. And it is very important to educate the young users, especially the teenagers, the potential risks that are associated with the vaping and encourage them and to make the healthy decisions and uh, pri um, prioritize their own uh, health and well-being is very important. Okay, thank you, Dan. Um, and Jerry, I might go to you. Yeah, so, so my take-home message is that we have missed we missed the boat with cigarette smoking, and we cannot afford to do the same with vaping. When when you insult your lungs with cigarette smoke or vaping materials, you get scarring. This, the lung is a fragile organ; it doesn't heal well. It heals by scarring and fibrosing, and you never regain that loss of function. So. We learned the hard way with cigarette smoke. It took us years and years to prove what it caused wrong, although we knew it was causing the problem. And we cannot afford to do the same thing with vaping. Can I, can I have three? Three? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I think for, for people who are trying to quit the scourge of tobacco smoking, they should seek advice on how best to do that from their medical practitioners and get try to work their way through that. From a teenager or younger demographic point of view, I think... They have the ability to see through uh, the tricks that are being played here on them by these particular from the companies producing these products and to, to think about it before they puff mm -hmm. and maybe choose a chocolate bar rather than the vape mm -hmm. uh, for now uh, and and lastly maybe from our politicians we they have to sort of realize that we need uh, rapidly need better legislation to guide our younger population as to how to make the right choices okay thank you donald so that concludes our discussion today. My thanks to our guest speakers, Professor Don Loche, Professor Jerry McIlvanny, and Dr. Dan Wu. Further details about upcoming events in the RCSI My Health series can be found on the RCSI website. You can also find the RCSI My Health series across all major podcast platforms. From all of us here at the RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to RCSI My Health. We hope you found this episode useful and informative. Don't forget to hit subscribe 
so you can stay up to date on health-related topics directly from the experts. For more information on RCSI My Health series, please visit rcsi.com forward slash myhealthlectures.